you know, to me, again, I, I think, I think the, uh, the political answer every every coach is going, oh, it's just another game. It's not just another game. I mean, it, it, this is this is the game. That time it looked like Xavier went into some kind of delay. And now a technical foul has been given to Mick Cronin. You know we couldn't go through this game without a few fireworks. Yeah, I've never had a kid tell me to F off three times before. And During the game and after the game. You know who it was. Same guy it always is every game. There are two sides to the story. There was a reason that their coach was issued a technical in the game. Trey, I saw you walking off the, the court. You gave your coach a big hug. You started waving your hands in the air. How's it feel to win the Crosstown shootout? I mean, it feels great. I mean, it's one of the biggest rivalries in the country. And, uh, you know, just to be able to go three and one in my whole career, I mean, uh, it's a pretty good feeling. Brown against Burton. Brown starting his dribble. He moves in. He pops up. He shoots. Scores! Lenny Brown! Xavier wins it! The Muskies win it! 71-69! And this the UC Bearcats are number one in the country, number two in their own city! All right, this week, the Xavier Basketball 100 Years Podcast is back talking Crosstown Shootout once again. This time, we're looking at some of the top Xavier moments from the 2000s. This podcast will feature an interview with D. Davis highlighting the D. Davis game from 2015 and J.P. Mikura, who will be revisiting the 2017 game at Centos. Andy Mack will once again be helping me out on this one, and we'll take a look at a few of the other special games over the last 20 years and shout out a few of the top players from those games. Thank you, as always, for checking out the podcast. Be sure to give us a like and subscribe and enjoy this interview with D. Davis. All right, and now I'd like to welcome D. Davis onto the podcast. D. was a four-year point guard for the Muskies from 2011 to 2015. D. helped Xavier make a successful transition from the A-10 to the Big East and, of course, led Xavier over UC in his senior year at UC and it is referred to as the D. Davis game of 2015. D. Davis, welcome into the Xavier Basketball 100 Years Podcast. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, that is a, a big deal to have a Crosstown shootout game named after you. I mean, do you think about it every day? Do you watch the highlights every Monday, Tuesday? Like, <laughs> like do you have a schedule where you go back and watch this game? Uh, no, I mean, I, I usually think about it when I come back around campus. <laughs> That's the only That's time? A, no, I mean, of course, you get reminded every now and then on social media or something. But uh, I don't know. I mean, as a player, you kind of move on. You have different moments in mm-hmm. your life. So, how but would, that was one that, that's reminded a lot. How do you describe that moment as a player? You know, maybe the intensity of that game, the passion behind it. Um you know, we, we've talked to a number of former players and coaches, and they have different ways of describing it. I mean, you were always the calm, cool, collected point guard, so it, it feels like you treated pretty much every game the same. But this game had to have stood out to you. Oh, it definitely did. I mean, there's a lot going into that game, especially it being the first game back on campus. Uh, and, you know, after the U.S. Bank experience, uh, everybody knew that that wasn't the right feeling to have a rivalry game that way anymore. And whenever I got to the gym for that, that game, especially, I end up seeing Oscar Robinson. And there's a mm-hmm. whole backstory to why I was so hyped for that Cincinnati game, especially in 2016. Because back in the day, and I'm saying this all due respect to Oscar Robinson and everything. He's a great player. <laughs> I have much respect for him. But when I was in high school, right, my team won the state. 
state championship, uh, undefeated or whatever. And we had like a little parade at the end of the year where it was like a like a type of, a type of uh, every team that won state gets to march in this parade type thing. And his team was in it. I didn't. This is when I figured out that Austin Robinson was from Indiana. This is the first mm-hmm. time I realized it. Right. And then, so I'm going up to him. Me and my teammates go up to him at the end of it, trying to get a picture from him. <laughs> And he looked at my teammate when he asked him, Mr. Mr. Robinson, you know, he's better than my teammate. You know, we're young, he's better. Mr. Robinson, Mr. Robinson, uh, can we get a picture? And then he looked at us and literally cussed us out for like 10 seconds and then <laughs> turned, <laughs> and turned to like one of his guys like, this is why I don't like doing things like this. Da, 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 da. But you can tell, like, he's, I'm not saying to say he's a bad guy. I'm saying you can tell that he gets this question all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, how he reacted to it. Yeah. And, like, I never, like, I never let that go for as long as I, I never let that moment go. Held on to the grudge. I love it. Yes. And then I saw him sit in front row in the warm-up. <laughs> I promise you, as soon as I seen him sit in front row, I didn't even remember missing in the warm-up, bro. Like, I don't remember missing a shot for the entire time in the gym. Wow. Like, I was that focused. Like, all my intensity and, like, everything I was giving into that game outside of, like, the Xavier-Cincinnati rivalry, that was the D. Davis-Oscar Robinson rivalry for me. Wow. Have you ever told anyone that story before? Because I-, I did not know about that. Yeah, this is, like, this is like something my family would know. Like, oh, my God. So, like, it's so real in the moment for me. It was like I was playing against Oscar's team. It didn't even matter if Cincinnati was on their jersey. He was a part of their team. Because the games at U.S. Bank Arena, he wasn't in the front row for those games. Yeah, I didn't see. I never even saw him before in person until since that moment. He said all the stuff he said. To us. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so, so, so when you walked in and, and you were running through pregame, did you stare him down? Like, did you give oh, him? Did, did you give him a wink? Did you guys talk? Every bucket I hit, I tried to give him a look. I don't know if he even cared to look at me. I don't think he remembers anything <laughs> oh about what he talked about. I, he had no clue that this even happened. This was like a little speck in his in his in his life. But that like I, that weighed on me that entire game. Like I wanted to win that game so bad, just so after the game I could look at him in his face <laughs> and he had to see me. You know what I mean? Like he had to see me on the court looking at him. He just me. Yes, that's me. Same kid that. The fact that you kept that chip on your shoulder, you know, during your time at Xavier and that the Big O possibly helped to manufacture the D. Davis game of 2015. Uh, nobody, as, as I said, a lot of people don't know that. He was a lot of the reason I was bringing a lot of that. that is Once funny. I seen him, like, it wasn't, it wasn't really about people on the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was about getting that win so I could look at Big O in his face. Well, he and, had to look at that and there was more than just, you know, winning that rivalry game, which, of course, you want to do to have bragging rights. But that game was later on in the year, and both teams were kind of on the bubble of the NCAA tournament, too. And you had that added pressure as a senior, you and Stainbrook, of going on the road. UC was a slight favorite just based on being at home. Did you feel that pressure um, and that need to win that game? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, they mentioned it. You hear, you know, throughout the, the media questions and, you know, the press action questions that kind of put you on, put it on your head, like, okay, we got to win this next game. Mm-hmm. You know, the coaches are talking numbers to you and stuff. But kind of, like, I mean, like you said, each game, you know, you just take it as it, as it is, you know, and you let things fall. 
like I've been experiencing since that point to where I made the tournament and went to a Sweet 16 as a freshman and then didn't make the tournament my sophomore year. So I had both sides. Like, I, you know, I've been through it. I've been through it both ways. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I really didn't. Like, once the Cincinnati game came, it's like its own game to me. You know what I mean? Like, because mm-hmm. it sticks out so much in the season. Like, of course, if you win, it looks good on the record, but I never looked at it as, like, a big win. And they were ranked, they were ranked too, right? Aren't they doing pretty good? So at, at that point, both teams were kind of in a similar teams, position. Were, that's what it was. We were both yeah. fighting for the same spot. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was like whoever won is going to get that spot in my head. So I'm saying like that's kind of how I took that game. Like, mm-hmm. and I usually take that game like that every year because we're usually doing similar throughout the year. Every time I've played, I'm pretty sure we had similar. Like, even when we did well, they were doing well. Well, and the, and the your game, you were known for being the smooth operator, dishing it out to guys, hitting shots as needed. But how big did the basket look to you in that game? You ended up with 16 points. I believe you were 5 of 5 from 3. I mean, it looked like you couldn't miss. And the moon ball, it, it was just spectacular that day. Yeah, no, it looked, it looked pretty <laughs> As I say, yeah, like in the warm-ups, I, I knew that, that the trigger was working that day. Yeah, I tapped into my inner Brad reference for a second. I could not. There's no reason for you to let me open in this game. Oh, absolutely. If you knew the bad, if you knew the reason why the brim is so big this game, you guys would not let me open. <laughs> well, once you Isn't made right? your first couple, yeah. you got you got to get out on you. Oh yeah, you have to come out here, and then you don't even know the whole field is sitting in the front row. I'm not even worried about who's on the court. <laughs> Oh you got to get him out the gym, or you for sure are losing this game. They needed to remove the Big O, and then <laughs> you—if the Big O's removed, I think that game is in complete jeopardy. Like, yeah, it's a, it might be a complete different answer coming from me. Take day. take me through the shot. Um, you guys were up twelve at the half. You hit a three to put you guys up thirty-six twenty-four at the half. Second half, UC makes an incredible comeback. Octavius Ellis got going a little bit. He had an and one, missed a free throw to put UC up two. Oh, yeah. And you got to make a big shot. You come off a screen, uh, down two, you knock it down. You know, maybe take me through that sequence. Uh, well, after they got a bucket, we come down. I think we called a timeout. And we were down two. He wanted to get a place that Coach Mack called timeout. And the whole second half, I know that I wasn't getting a look at the rim. Like, I didn't get a shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, at the three, they were closing out. They were making sure I didn't get any more look. And uh, I just remember, like, they called timeout. And then I walked to the, the the wing where I shot it from right as I was going to the timeout and kind of, like, measured up a shot. Like, if I was going to get a shot, like, if it was from here, I'm going to hit it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know when you kind of, like, work on your form a little bit in your head? Like, this is it right here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, but... I didn't know for sure I was going to get the ball. I just knew the play we were going to run. I don't know why I knew we were going to run that play, just because of so much misdirection. But I don't know. It kind of just worked. It kind of manifested itself. I I really don't know how to explain it. It was one of the moments where you knew you were going to get the shot without knowing. I kind of practiced it before the play even started. You know what I mean? And then when the ball came, I was – I just practiced it in my head. I knew it was coming. Yeah, it was big time. And I was at the game uh, in the audience, so you, you allowed me to have a very successful night. It was me and uh, and Johnny Mazza. I think, I think Joe Hughes might have been with us too, but uh, we, we sat in that arena and had another beer for about a half an hour after, just enjoyed it, and then we uh, took our talents uh, to another spot in downtown Cincinnati. But I, 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 I thank you for winning that game, obviously for Xavier Nation, but for the sake of my night. And when you're a Xavier fan, you get a win at UC. I mean, you're going to have a good week. Oh, that's definitely a big deal for me. 
It felt good. It definitely felt good for sure to be the only time I played at Cincinnati I got away. I'd like to thank D. Davis for the interview and pass it on to Andy Mack, who will be setting the stage for my interview with J.P. McCura. Cincinnati rolled into Centai Center on December 2nd, 2017 at 7-0, rated number 11 in both polls. One problem, their schedule was weak, tissue paper thin. They hadn't played anybody. Xavier had one loss to Arizona State, and they were coming off a big win over a very highly regarded Baylor team at Cintas. Xavier, not too shabby, rated number 21. The Muskies owned the home court advantage, obviously, and boy, were they ever extra motivated. Coach Chris Mack kept harping on being punked on the glass the year before at UC. Xavier gave up a whopping total of 19 offensive rebounds in that game a year previous, and that was just unacceptable. Coach Mack wore a number 19 t-shirt the entire week of practice, and the players knew what they had to do. UC didn't have a chance. X led 21-8, seven minutes in, and 45-30 at the half, winning in a walk 89-76. J.P. McCura's running verbal battle with UC coach Mick Cronin highlighted the XU blowout. Here's Brad Redford talking some smack with J.P. And just a quick heads up here, I was talking to J.P. via FaceTime from Turkey, so the audio is going to be a little bit fuzzy. All right, to truly relive some of the Crosstown moments, you have to go directly to the guys that have made it happen. My next guest embraced this rivalry and stepped up and antagonized the Bearcats every step of the way. And with that, I will welcome in none other than J.P. Mikura. J.P., welcome into the pod. What's going on? And you have to say, where are you calling me from right now? Turkey. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to say the whole city, but Afyon. All right, there you go. How long you been there for? A little over a month. All right, well, you look great. You look great. How's the city treating you? Oh, just wonderful. Perfect. Beautiful. Perfect. Well, good to see a big smile on your face saying that. So, all right, to the Crosstown shootout game of 2017, we're going to get to the fireworks that happened during the game, after the game, but let's let's talk about the importance of the win, the importance of the rivalry. You guys won the game 89-76 at the Sinta Center. Xavier, you guys were ranked number 21. UC, number 11. I think UC might have been favored in that game. Do, do you remember if that was something that you guys talked about before the game? Yeah, I mean, during college, we didn't really care too much about the number next to or the other team. At the time, we were just kind of worried about winning, and that's what we did. Majority of the years, <laughs> you guys, yeah. you guys did. What was uh, what was your record versus UC? Oh, uh, it was three and one. Three and one. Yeah, pretty good record. So you and Trayvon were were a pretty tough matchup for most teams, but definitely for UC, wouldn't you say that? Yeah, they they kind of struggled um, <laughs> with us, but I mean they they did get one game, which I give them credit. Well, well, in the game of 2017, you guys really imposed your dominance in that game. Um, do you remember how Coach Mack attacked that game and got you guys prepared for it? Yeah, I mean, he just said it's a player's game, and, and we're better than these guys, basically. Um, and we knew we were better than them. Um, we just had to go out and play harder, and we did. I mean, as a player, I remember Coach Mack preparing us for that game. I mean, could you kind of tell – you know, through his body language, you know, 
how much he enjoyed the rivalry and, and maybe, you know, I don't, I don't want to say dislike, but, you know, not a huge fan of the team definitely, close by. Definitely disliked him. Uh, but in all honesty, like, I just kind of knew right when I got to campus that the rivalry was crazy. You know, I didn't know until I played my first game, but, I mean, to be in the game and actually play um, and the fans going crazy, pretty cool. All right. I mean, you know I was going to go here. Um, when did the talking to Coach Cronin and you start? I mean, did that happen in games previously? You know, did you feel like you guys were really under control and just you guys were – it went from fun to just, you know, an interaction that everybody saw? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was always fun for me. Um, but basically, um, it started with – I was, I was running the, the left wing, so I ran by him every time up, up and down the court. And basically, he was saying stuff to me the whole game, the whole entire game. Uh, anything you can imagine, uh, basically cussing me out the whole entire game. I would honestly say probably 30, 30 cuss words at least throughout the game. And... I told Coach Mack, I was like, hey, this guy's a clown. Like, he's a bum. That's basically what I told him. And um, he just said, like, wait till after. Don't say anything to him, whatever. So then at before half, uh, yeah, it was before halftime, the only thing I said to him during the game, I said, I called him a bum. Um, and then after half started going around talking like blah 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 saying all these all this stuff then after the game like all right i already had it in my mind what i was going to say to him and it happened to be that my hand after the game he walked right in front of me whoever was in front i think it's tyreek maybe but he shook his hand and walked straight um the the locker room and I just said what I said. Um, it was definitely a disrespectful thing to say, but, I mean, the man is a grown guy. Man, he's 40-something. I don't even know how old he is, cussing out a 20-year-old multiple, multiple times throughout the game. And he wants to act like an innocent innocent person after the game, saying that never had a player say F off three times, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I never had a coach cuss me out the whole game like that. Um, so... I mean, I nothing. I don't have anything against the man. Um, people, I think I don't like him a lot on Twitter because I joke around and stuff. But I mean, it's, for me, it's all fun and games. So, in many ways, JP, you you really tried to defuse the situation. I mean, during the game, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I was I was trying to be a good guy. Right, right. That yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm probably. You shouldn't, like, for somebody to, like, cuss me out all that during the game, like, it took a lot for me not to say any crazy stuff to him during the game. Um, but, you know, we, we took care of business. Uh, we handled our business on the floor, and we won convincing, convincingly, so that was good. And it didn't end up in any physical altercation, which is a good thing, because I was a part of a game in 2011 that – 
ended in a much worse fashion than, you know, what happened in 2017. So in many ways, it was just adds another storyline to the rivalry that people will not forget. Yeah, I mean, he did say, ask me if I wanted to meet him in the parking lot, but I mean, nothing, so... I mean, I would say your frame probably would would bode well in that matchup. Um, you know, I, I mean, crazy things have happened before, but I, you know, I would say the, the odds in Vegas would be overwhelmingly would be on your side. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, JP, thank you for the call. Uh, Xavier Nation uh, is going to love to hear from you. You sound great. You look great. Uh, it sounds like you're playing well in Turkey, continuing your professional career. Um, I think that's a mic drop from J.P. Makira. Uh, anything you'd like to, to end on? No, man, just thanks for having me on. All right, well, big thanks to J.P. Makira for the interview. That guy, just a true competitor. And to finish things off, I did want to mention and highlight three other games worth talking about from the 2000s. The 2004 game at Cintas that helped launch a struggling Xavier team to go on what became known as the run. Lionel Chalmers had a go-ahead step-back jumper with just 27 seconds to go to take down a top-10-ranked UC team with Jason Maxiel, Eric Hicks, and Tony Bobbitt. The 2009 game, which was a double-overtime thriller, Jordan Crawford and Sue Holloway led the way over Born Ready and UC and Chris Max for a shootout. And to wrap things up, the 2011 fight game that was overshadowed by the brawl and post-game comments, but just a dominant performance from a really talented Xavier team. Big thank yous go out to D. Davis, J.P. McCura, Pete Gillen, Kevin Fry, Gary Lumpkin for jumping on these podcasts, and of course, Andy Mack. We'll be back next week with the new Xavier Basketball 100 Years Podcast interview brought to you by Heartland Bank. 